0: Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hi, everybody. My name is Ryland. I'm the lead pastor here and so grateful to be with you Today we're in a summer series called Rethinking Your Life where we're learning to think like Jesus Christ and today we're going to look at another game-changing statement from Jesus and I I put in your notes, maybe you grabbed uh, grabbed it at the door or you can follow along in the app if you're watching online. Hey 1015, would you just do me a favor? Let's welcome everybody watching online today. Hey, yeah! Uh, So uh, this account that we're going to look at uh, to begin with is in both the gospel of Mark and Matthew and I put this kind of conclusion statement in your outline, decided I wanted to build up to it first out of Matthew and in Matthew 20 verse 20 it says the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. So James and John were two of the twelve disciples Uh, They were followers of Jesus. So the mother of these guys comes to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectively to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right and the other at your left. Mom's in here, do you blame her? Uh, you know, they're, they already weren't going to be doctors or lawyers and uh, they're following Jesus around. And I've often thought, uh, if you're the mom of one of the disciples, what do you tell your friends that they do? Like they're homeless fishermen, as best we can tell. And, but up to this point, uh, Jesus had done so many amazing miracles. It's obvious that he's going to do something great. And maybe, uh, maybe when that happens... When it all goes down, whatever that is, James and John could have seats in the luxury box next to Jesus, and she'll be able to tell her friends that they're with Jesus, they're in with him, and that's what she wanted, you don't blame her, that's a good mom. Jesus is going to go on to tell her, "Uh, you really don't know what you're asking here, (laughs) because he's predicting his death, and like, you know, they want seats next to me, it it doesn't mean what you think it's going to mean. And those places are actually already being prepared uh, for um, people who are heavenly minded and giving up their life and everything else. But you go to verse 24, and it says, When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. Can you picture this? They're mad. Picture the scene you got to believe those other guys who are going, James and John, I can't believe that. They've sunk to an all-time low. You total kiss-ups bringing your mom to Jesus. Why are they mad? They're mad because they're afraid that those two guys are going to get glory that they wanted themselves. And there's no way they were going to give that up without a fight. And if you're anything like me, you're just so encouraged by that account. That the people in the inner circle of Jesus, following Jesus, camping with Jesus, sitting under his teaching, watching the miracles, uh, eating together, breathing in the same air as God in the flesh, were struggling with selfishness and they're struggling to see the big picture of what's going on. Jesus was making statements. They're struggling to understand them. But what does Jesus do in the midst of that? He calls a timeout, and he lays out the kingdom rules of what it means to follow him, and it really, it set up a new paradigm that what he's about to say here, we're still experiencing the ripple effects of of this statement today. Verse 25, Jesus calls them together, and he said, You know that in this world kings are tyrants, and officials lord it over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And what I want you to hear today, very important to this whole message, is that Jesus was not rejecting greatness. He was not rejecting leadership. He was not rejecting the desire to be great. He doesn't reject it he redefines it. He asks us to rethink it. He says, if you want to be great, you serve. And then he gives this powerful statement in your notes, Mark 10 45, he gives his life as an example for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I believe this verse should be at the fingertips of every believer, of every Christian, to remind them of why Jesus came, to tell others why Jesus came, to remind ourselves of why we're here. Jesus said, if you want to be great, you learn to be the servant of all. He says, even me, who is completely perfect, even me, who really is the king of the world, came to serve. What, what does that mean? What? Why should I follow his example? Why should I learn to think like him? I want to give you four motivations this morning of why we serve others because God is really interested in why you do what you do. And he's interested in your motivation. Motivation is is difficult. It's a difficult thing to understand. But let's just go through four motivations uh, and check our own heart on these. If you're taking notes, write this down. A motivation of why to serve is because It proves that I belong to Christ. The Bible says that even before you were born, God planned a life of service for you. The reason why so many people feel so empty today, feel so lost, feel so meaningless, is because they've missed the point of life. The Bible says that long ago, God planned that we should serve others. And as I serve others, that's when my own needs are met. It's through meeting people's needs that really my deepest needs get met. It's when I give my life away, that's when I find it. God says that the way you know that you're part of the body of Christ is that you serve others. It's the proof. It doesn't save you. Christ's work saves you. The cross, the resurrection. But how do you know you really believe? How do you know you're really saved? And thank goodness the New Testament gives us examples and ways, proofs to know that you really believe and that you're really saved. Romans 7, 4 says, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. That's Jesus. As a result, so Jesus Christ's work, when you believe in that, that's what saves you. But now as a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. The good deeds don't save you. They're planned by God. They can't, they're, they're good only as good deeds as as service. Christ's work is what saves you. But as a result, you know, in the parable of the soils, the good soil is the one who hears, then produces a harvest. And God says that the way you know you're part of the body of Christ is you serve others. There's no such thing. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction. There's no such thing. It's a contradiction. There's no such thing to say, I'm a Christian, but I never serve anyone. I don't serve others. Another motivation is that serving others is the way to serve God. And we all love to serve God. You know, if somebody said, there goes Mike, the servant of God, that's a pretty great title. That's a title Paul used, Mary used, Peter used, even Jesus said, I'm a servant of God. But what we don't like is to be the servant of others. To say, there goes Mike, he's the servant of others. That's a little bit more difficult, but that's the way to serve God, and no matter what you're doing, who are you doing it for? That's why Jesus would make statements like, what you have done for the humblest of my brothers, you've done for me. He states it positively. If you feed, clothe others, then you feed and clothe me. If you have not fed and clothed others, you have not fed and clothed me. The greatest honor is to serve God. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. That's another motivation I don't even have listed today, but God rewards it. He's grateful. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. He's grateful. Have you ever noticed sometimes you serve someone and they're not grateful? Like they don't get what a big inconvenience it was to you and why you're doing it and you want to give up because it doesn't seem like it's making a difference and God says well who are you doing it for if you're doing it for me work at it with all your heart and guess what I'm really grateful I'm going to give you a reward for it ultimately who are you doing it for that's a great motive I'm going to give you a third motive why to serve because I owe God everything gratitude thankfulness gratefulness it changes everything The reason why we serve is because of what God has done for us through his mercy. And when I think of what Christ has done for me, there's no sacrifice that I can make that would ever compare to what he's done for me. The fact that he made me, made me his, saved me, redeemed me from the pit of despair, pulled me out of the muck and the mire. I'm going to heaven when I die. He forgave me of my sins. He gives me promises that I can stand on and cling on. I give him my life. Romans 12.1 says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This attitude of gratefulness, man, it impacts so much. I remember as a kid driving to church with my dad. My dad's a pastor, founding pastor of this church. He'd crank up worship music, songs of thanksgiving. We'd sing on the way to church. We'd pull into the property, and this is what he would do, is we pulled into the parking lot. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He just took on this attitude of gratitude of we don't deserve this. What an incredible opportunity today. I'm so grateful. And it fueled the culture of our church, the attitude of our church. It made the messages so powerful, times of worship so powerful, to have behind it all an attitude of thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let me give you the the fourth motivation, the last one we'll look at today, and that is because service is the best use of my life. It is the best use of my life to serve God by serving other people in Jesus' name. The fact is what counts is when you give your life away. The Bible says when you do what you do with all your heart as you do it for the Lord, it all counts. So when I go home today and tonight do the dishes and take out the trash and Put the kids to bed. It's just as important as preaching this sermon right now. And hopefully Lauren's not watching online, otherwise I just committed myself to doing those things, but (laughs) (laughs) it's all important. It's all valuable. And it's not so much what you do, it's your heart behind it and how you do it. What's your attitude? And there's no insignificant service in God's eyes, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you do is without value when it's done for God. And when you minister, acts of ministry, acts that's just serving, it has an impact for eternity. And we have an awesome opportunity coming up next week Uh, this Saturday July 18th we're having our big annual serve day where you can make a difference a lot of effort goes into this day the goal is that the whole church uh, would participate wherever you are in your journey of faith however connected or unconnected you are to this church our whole church just takes uh, a day to serve and to make a difference and there's several different projects happening we've got stuff indoor stuff outdoor earlier in the day later in the day uh, stuff that's uh, contact with other people or you do with other people, opportunities where uh, you would not come in contact with another person. Uh, how do you find that stuff out? Uh, you can preview the projects. You can sign up for a project. We're donating stuff that day. You can see the donation list, uh, the tents between the buildings. Uh, that's uh, why that's there. Uh, very clear out there how to do that. If you're watching online or maybe you want to do this, even if you're here, rockbrook.org serve has that information. All of that's duplicated on the app, and if you have any questions, at rockbrook.org. Uh The team that puts Serve Day together, I want to make it, if somebody doesn't serve on Serve Day, it's not because we didn't make the information clear and the opportunities clear, okay? And so uh, even if you're listening to this later in the week, uh, there's still opportunities to sign up uh, all this week, uh, so uh, make that happen, happen, check that out. Let me highlight a couple of things, give you a few details. Stick with me for a moment as we talk nuts and bolts of serve day for a little bit. A couple of big projects are happening that day. In the morning, we're doing a food and supply drive here at the church from nine to 11. So you drive through, donate stuff, you just pop the trunk, people get it out uh, from nine to 11. If if you sign up to serve at that event, um, then there's time on either side of that or you can just sign up to drive through and donate. And uh, I hold in my hand from the home office in Wahoo, Nebraska, the donations list. We put this in your worship guide as well. And uh, you can take a look at this, and it's just suggested stuff on what you could donate that day. School supplies, food for local pantries, care packages for nursing homes. And maybe you even have another Serve Day project that day. Uh, Mine's later in the day, so I'm going to drive through and donate on my way to the Serve Project would love for you to participate in that, and then in the afternoon uh, we'll be distributing food to people in our community who are in need, and we're doing that in partnership with Harvesters, and that's from twelve thirty to two thirty. Again, if you sign up to serve for that, there's time on either side, um, but maybe you know someone uh, who, man, they could drive through and and pick up some uh, donations as well. Various times and size of projects commitments several different things yard cleanouts, groups going down to harvesters to sort and repackage food uh, lots of amazing projects you guys have uh, come up with and submitted and so let's go let's do it wear your serve day shirt oh, I meant to bring one up here but if it, a serve day shirt wear it that day you can pick that up uh, in the serve tents and even if you're going to drive through and donate food come on just play ball sign up for that wear your shirt champion that. Uh, If you want to give blood, uh, we're doing, we couldn't get the blood drive to line up with Serve Day, so we're doing it the following Friday. Sign up for that. Wear your Serve shirt. Give blood. Like, let's do this uh, together. And uh, if the last few years, we've done a huddle on Saturday mornings before we go to Uh, all of our serve events we're not going to do that this year because so much has happened at the church we didn't want to huddle everybody together for obvious reasons so we're going to send out just a short devotional to all the uh, the project leads and uh, you can do that uh, with your group get a yard sign the whole thing we'll give you some more information today but before we move on I just want to thank Dave and Susie Hostetler And Susan Lorimer, Tom Stoltz, many other people have volunteered and helped. You don't just pull off Serve Day by accident, and they've done a lot of great work. Come on, would you just thank them with me? Yeah. Way to go. Woo! If you were to ask me about Rockbrook's greatest strengths, what's one of Rockbrook's greatest strengths? I would say it's serving. The willingness to get our hands dirty. The willingness to do things outside of our comfort zone. The willingness to tweak our schedule, the willingness to serve. We have far above the national average of the percentage of our church who actively, regularly serve. The willingness to care for other people. Last week, I was getting coffee, and they said, hey, what are you doing today? I said, I'm on my way to church. They said, what church do you go to? I said, Rockbrook. They said, is everybody there just so nice? Nice. I said, why do you say that? And she goes, well, it just seems like you really care for people. I said, could you hold my coffee while I go over here and cry? <laughs> and that happens all the time that someone who, she's never been here. Her only connection to a church is the friends that she has, the customers that come in. And it's just a powerful example of a willingness to really care for other people. I've learned from so, so much from Rockbroke about what it means to be a true servant. In fact, I I wrote some of them down. I want to look at five biblical traits of a true servant that I've learned from Rockbrook. Psalm 102, read this out loud with me. Come on, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Not sadness, but gladness. I love that verse. I love serving with people who want to be there. I love working with people who want to be there. I like being in a meeting with someone who wants to be there. In fact, that's my favorite thing about like bands and musical artists. I love it when you look at them and they look like they want to be there because I've been to some concerts where uh, you would have thought someone stole that person's dog and the only way they get the dog back is if they put on a concert for me. And it's just like complete obligation, begrudgingly I'm going to do this, someone's forcing me to do this. I love it when you see someone who's just like, "Man, I wouldn't rather be anywhere else right now. I love this. I love preaching to people who want to be here. Like maybe you didn't know this, but you don't have to be here right now. <laughs> but you want to be here. I, I, I love that, that attitude. In fact, uh, this is the first quality I put down is a true servant sees service as an opportunity, not an obligation. Nothing, did you get it before I said it? Yeah, nailed it. Don't you love it when that happens When you get the fill in before? Some of them, you've been here so long you could just fill it all out and go home, but (laughs) nothing is a poorer testimony than somebody who's serving the Lord because they have to. That's no testimony. If you can't serve the Lord with gladness, you check your attitude. You need to go back over the things that God has done for you and realize the motivations that give you gladness. I feel like Paul in 1 Timothy 1, that says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. God uses imperfect people. If he only used perfect people, nothing would get done. And in a culture where we're so willing to cast people aside for so many different reasons, God says, no, I have grace for you, and I'll use people who have skeletons in their closets, things in their past they wish uh, could they could change. All of us have regrets and mistakes and memories we wish oh, would have never happen dumb choices that sometimes we're still paying for we all have these things in our lives but God's grace he takes ordinary people with ordinary backgrounds sometimes even dark backgrounds and he uses them in extraordinary ways and the next time somebody says to you oh you're claiming to be a Christian who do you think you are oh you're serving as what who do you think you are wrong question the question is who do you think God is because God says I'm a trophy of his grace. I don't deserve to be saved, much less deserve to serve him. So a servant sees service as an opportunity. It's not an obligation. Number two, a true servant doesn't criticize other service. A person with a real servant heart doesn't judge other people's service. It's one of the marks of a true servant. Romans 14.4 Who are you to criticize someone else's servant? The Lord will determine whether his servant has been successful. The servant will be successful because the Lord makes him successful. And you have to ask yourself, uh, do I secretly compare my service with other people for the purpose of criticizing them? You say, look at all those people. They They come in late. I'm on time. I mean they don't do the work behind the scenes. I do the work behind the scenes. Well, Jesus said they're going to report to God, and so will you. And if I'm a servant of God, I don't have any re- right to criticize others. God's going to hold them accountable. They're going to give a report. I don't have to worry about them. I get to worry about me. Now, let me say this about comparison. Not all comparison is bad. If you don't compare, you'll never grow. For instance, I would not know how to be a good husband to my wife if I didn't have any good husbands to compare myself to and say, I want to be like that. I would never reach a goal if I never compared myself to where I was in relationship to the goal. Where comparison gets really dark is when I begin to criticize, when I criticize others, myself, my situation, from other things at a distance. Everything looks better from a distance. And when you compare your life to someone else's life from a distance, when you compare your family to another family, when you compare your spouse to, when you compare your city to another city, your church to another church, your job to another job, to another from a distance, it's very unhealthy. When we compare parts of our life to a feed on our phone, it leads to very unhealthy places. So we don't compare negatively. We don't criticize. A true servant doesn't criticize other people's service, and their opportunities. Let me give you the third trait. is A true servant is more concerned with ministry to others than with making money. You can't serve God and serve money at the same time. Now money is neutral. It, money is not evil in itself. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So for believers, money becomes spiritual. Our Lord says that lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Be wise in the way you steward money. Be generous in the way you steward money. That way when you come to the end of your life, it's a warm welcome to you in heaven. And I don't know how to say this any clearer than the way Jesus said it give you some more verses on the screen here. Luke 16, starting in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Can't serve God in money. Can't serve God in what's what other people esteem highly, but it's detestable to Him. Number four, a true servant is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. If I'm a troublemaker, if I've got a long line of burnt bridges behind me, I fight with people, constantly argue, never agree, always disagree. It's an indication at that point that I'm not being a true servant. 2 Timothy two twenty three says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. And so this is just a great verse. If someone tries to bait you with a stupid, foolish argument, just say 2 Timothy 2, 23. And then be quiet. <laughs> and it's awkward and they have to go look it up. And it's awesome. It's wonderful. Because you know that they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. I believe that one of the reasons why Rockbrook has so few dissensions and discord is because we have so many true servants who take this this verse seriously. All right, let me give you the last one. Last biblical trait I've learned from Rockbrook is a true servant gives the credit to God. A real servant recognizes where his abilities come from, her abilities come from. And they give glory to God. That yes, I have abilities, talents, gifts, but they're from God, so thank God. It's not something you've earned or I've earned. It's not something we deserve. One of the things you're going to hear at Rockbrook especially in our growth track, is that we believe everybody is a 10 in some area. And when you look at the people around you who are serving or you're working with, maybe they're just not clicking in an area, they haven't found their 10 yet. They haven't found that spot yet. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes, kind of like a baseball player, it takes a little bit of failure to find where, where you're really, really great. And so we encourage you to experiment with that and we we give pathways for that to happen, for you to try stuff. We want to help you find where you can serve or or it's meaningful or it's powerful, it's satisfying to you You and give the credit and the glory to God. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Read this last part with me. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I heard a a story about a little boy who he went to check out his next door neighbor who had a brand new Cadillac sitting in the driveway. And the man came out and said, so uh, you like my new car? My brother gave it to me. And the little boy said, wow, I wish. And the man said, stop right there. You're going to say, I wish I had a brother just like that. And the boy said, no, I wish I could be a brother like that. Let's pray. God, we want to be a brother like that. (laughs) I'm just going to pray a a prayer of commission today as uh, we won't be huddling or gathering uh, this Saturday. God, I thank you for these people. What an amazing church. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. God my goodness thank you for serving us and it's just an honor and privilege to take our life to take a serve day and serve you by serving others God help people to see why we do it and give us endurance and joy that day it's going to be hot Uh, things probably won't go exactly as planned Uh, There may be miscommunications or uh, issues, problems, technical problems. There always are. But God, we just push through all of that because of 2 Corinthians 5.14. Christ's love compels us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.